Welcome to the spoiler cast for Rehydrate. This episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem, The Dark Forest, and Death's End. If you don't want to be spoiled on future events, please skip this episode. This is Season 3, Episode 5, Droplet, where we will be discussing the second third of Part 3 of The Dark Forest by Lucy Shin. My name is Amin, and I have only read up to the current chapters. Hey, this is Dan. I've read the entire series. Hey, this is Talia. I've listened to the entire series, and I'm rereading along with the spoiler cast. So we did have one follow-up email from uh, a listener who has emailed us a bunch of times, Frank. He was following up on some of the stuff we talked about from last spoiler cast, so I wanted to read it. So his email says, uh, Life has small ironies. During the last episode, the spoiler cast accompanying season three, episode four, uh, you were interested in hearing from someone who prefers the first book and most dislike the third book. And I know just that person, not personally, I'll explain. Meet Dan, a finance professional and occasional Bloomberg columnist who I first heard from an episode on the Bloomberg podcast, Odd Lots. He sometimes posts personal essays to his blog, and one of the essays is a review of the trilogy. Uh, there are some interesting things in the review. His observation regarding inf- interiority and independent thinking escaped me during my readings of the trilogy, and and so did his observations regarding theory versus practice. He also mentions passing the theme of feel piety, which I also missed, but never expands on this topic. I would love to hear some of your thoughts on this, as well as his opinions of on each of the three books. In complete opposition to your preferences, this Dan Lowe's Dessen ranks the first book as his favorite, with Dark Force being a close second place. Lastly, I very much appreciate the addition of Talia to the podcast. Her interview was great, and for a long while, I've always wondered what female readers would think of the trilogy, so I'm glad to hear some variety and perspectives. Thanks again for bringing this podcast and keeping up the good work. So thank you very much, Frank, for your email. Yeah, leave us emails at uh, rehydrate at fastmail.com. Yeah. So I know I I, po- I posted this to you know to to me Natalia before the before the episode and I think all of us got a chance to read it and now Natalia had some thoughts on it so I'll let you go first. Sure. I will say Frank or maybe you did not pick up on the themes of filial piety. I also read that very quickly and I thought no way no way has that theme been explored and I actually had to reread it and he's actually praising another one of Theo's stories. So that did not uh. escape us. So little um, exhale of relief. I do think <laughs> there are some things that we could possibly agree with about this columnist, Dan. Is that his name? Yeah, Dan Wang. Yeah, not good to be confused with our Dan. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and some of those, like, interiority, I can agree. It's like a hero who's holding, like, a secret. And I think that is um, somewhat interesting. I also found that the writing that he pointed to in the first book it reminded me of like when we talk about foreshadowing and i can read one paragraph maybe you'll see it too uh so he says to conclude here's a scene i enjoyed from the first book which beautifully describes the three body problem and it reads thus i created a sphere in this infinite space for myself not too big though possessing mass my mental state didn't improve however the sphere floated in the middle of emptiness in infinite space Anywhere could be the middle. The universe had nothing that could act on it, and it could act on nothing. It hung there, never moving, never changing, like a perfect interpretation for death. So this goes on to introduce the second and third spheres that make up the three-body problem, but when I read that, I just thought of the pocket universe. I didn't actually make that connection. So this is... just now. Yeah. So this is the three spheres in the... 
when they're at the ETO meeting or the actual in the actual game? I believe it's the like the husband of the Japanese woman um, who's playing the three body problem, and he's sort of been pointed to as like not very interesting or like not very smart. And then we get a little monologue talking head from him, and he's like, "I never tried hard in school, but I could always oh, right. visualize all these." Yeah, I remember that. Yep, yep. I forgot what his name was. Wait, was it Wei Chung? Maybe, but the whole idea of like not being happy even though you're like safe and nothing can act on you uh it definitely made me think of the pocket universe which is you know not just in the third book but all the way at the end of the third book and maybe was hinted at in the first book what do you think is that a stretch or can you see that no i can see it yeah i think that's a that's a good catch i i i always wonder like how far in advance like authors think of these things like did Leo have his have the pocket universe in his mind as he's running through a problem? Like that's a long way away, <laughs> you know. Like, and you know, doesn't even know he's going to write the second. Because like I can see like the first book just being it on on its own, right? And and never writing the second and third. Like obviously, like when it got popular, he's like, okay, cool, I can continue my story. I don't know how much how far ahead he actually wrote or thought about the the story. I don't know how what kind of writer he is. Maybe he was leafing through his own book for ideas when he was writing the third book. Yeah. <laughs> how about you? I mean, did you get a chance to read this contrarian? <laughs> I, I did. And not having read the third book, I I don't have an opinion on the quality of the third book relative to the first two. So, so one of the things that Dan Wang, the other Dan, talks about is identifying with the themes of the Great Stagnation, which is a book by Tyler Cohen, who's a fairly well-known, I would say, libertarian ec- economist. But I, I think I think that connection, I hadn't made that connection uh, in this. I, I think that was, and as I think about it, I think a lot of science fiction really works. So, so his point, sorry, going back, is his point is that the Great Stagnation, the idea is that we've had a lot of progress in the world of bits, but not that much in the world of atoms. And I feel like a lot of science fiction that I've read anyway really focuses on the world of atoms. It's, it's a physical thing. It's not a lot of virtual type of activity. Um, obviously, the three-body problem game in here is about bits, and it seems like a fairly advanced game. So, But I would agree with with Dan W's assessment that in this book, it's more focused on advancement in, in the physical world and not the virtual world. Other than that, I thought his, I thought his perspective was interesting, but again, not having read the last book, I don't know that I can fully agree with or disagree with this. His quote for the third book was like, it says the third, the third death's end is too dismal for words. If you pick up the series, I suggest stopping by the end of the second book, which is, which like the first is full of, full of vibrant ideas. The trilogy could have wrapped up and on a smart and philosophical note. Instead, the ending felt hollow in Hollywood. I don't think that's fair at all. Like, like I would not characterize the third book as dismal at all. Like, there's dismal parts, I guess, you know, the part where they go to Australia, like where humanity is sort of in a lull in Australia and being being herded there, you know. But every story has has that kind of stuff. And Hollywood, I don't know either. Like, it has a ambiguously happy ending i guess in in a way i don't know it, it didn't seem all of us love the the death end for all all these reasons that it's not a typical story and it's the scope is so grand and and that the main character is like you know always like full of optimism and looking for the better side of people and not just choosing the the easy route of just destroying things just to destroy them 
I, I don't know. I, I I do not agree with this perspective at all. And I, I didn't see any really good perspectives as to why the first book is so much better. Like, I think all the themes that he talks about here are, are right. I think the interiority thing is a is a good one and talks about anti-intellectualism, which I think is also, a, it, it's a, it's a prevalent concept throughout the, especially the first book, right? Like the whole premise of the first book is like, it seems like the Trislerners are actively trying to make people against, you know, intellectualism. So they'll be against science. So they, they won't continue science. Right. But I, I don't, I, I don't see any really good reason here why he doesn't like the third book. All of the people who I see who do not like the third book, and it's not many of them, but it all seems to be like they hate Changshin. That seems to be like the biggest reason. I actually was thinking about what Amin had said about bits versus atoms and how we've seen a lot of actual progression in the bits. I think that that is accurate, but it just like it's a binary branch of different science fiction. And I think one of the key differences is that if you if you like that type of science fiction and I count myself as someone who does it's so easy to point to like brilliant individuals and I know that I've felt that as a coder it's really like yeah it's just me I'm alone I can solve this problem and it's very easy to come up with this like not like ready player one has like you know a zany like hidden isolated person who invests and makes a lot of money and also makes like a private reality of you know a virtual scope if you're talking about advancement in atoms there's really no getting around the fact that there do need to be trade-offs that like you can't have a space city and a world government that controls military like at some point you do need to let civil overtake military or you need to let military overtake civil and i think that a big theme throughout these books is that you know it does take massive work to build this future and i think that's one of the themes that's explored a lot in the second and third book a little bit more about like can humanity work together can other civilizations work together and i think there's some dark answers there like as we see a super advanced civilization we only get to see them for like 10 pages but in the third book we do learn that they're not even able to hide their thoughts from each other like they can shuffle through each other's thoughts at will and that seems like one of the trade-offs that's allowed them to grow so big and maybe humanity doesn't really want to go in that direction but that it just seems like a very different branch of science fiction and i'm glad to see a writer like Liu Sushin engage in it so so again not having read death's end is is death's end more of a I guess, sociological exploration. And it, maybe that's why certain people who like certain types of science fiction are, are less drawn to that. Is, is that a fair description? Or is it, is it as science fiction-y as the first two books? I mean, it is just more of a maximalist book. It can encompass more. It's just the author really just, like, honestly, sachets his way through the text. Sometimes <laughs> it's like, oh, what's happening here? It's like, an entire chapter of literary analysis. And then here's a story about characters I've never heard about. And then here's like, <laughs> like if you've read Moby Dick, it's just like, all right, like 200 pages about whale ribs. Okay. <laughs> so there's definitely some things of like just deep, hard science fiction. It's like, well, it may be very interesting to Leo Sushin about, to hear about like gathering different oil clouds from Neptune. And he's like telling me, no, no, like these have to be gathered from Neptune. They're, they're different from other kinds of space dust. And it's just like the ribs of the whale to me. Like, I, I wouldn't know it. 
but I wouldn't say it's any less science fiction than the first two. I would say like the second book is more in-depth sociology, you know, like there's definitely sociological elements in the third book, more about like how society would react to bigger and more fantastical kind of, and more futuristic, you know, things like how would humanity react to the the development of light speed, right? Like light speed ships and how, you know, how would people fight for that or not fight for that? And what are the dangers? And, uh, you know, there, there's bigger, more grander concepts where the first one is more grounded in like the wall facer project, right? Where it's like more current day. But then at the same time in the third book, there's also like grander science fiction ideas. Like, yeah, like light speed ships and uh, uh, fourth, you know, fourth dimensionality and two dimensionality, <laughs> you know, like the there's a lot of like kind of mind blowing concepts that happen in the third book where the second book seems a little bit more grounded in something that's more realistic, I guess. Like we can imagine like 200 years in the future having these tree cities and and, you know, the personalized technology that kind of th- stuff like it seems like more of an extension of like this is this seems reasonable right we have underground cities because the environment's all screwed up where in the third book it's like a little more fantastical mm-hmm. i can agree with your assessment dan though about like why this author seems so uh misled and i have one piece of evidence that i think is going to prove why this is not <laughs> something to be taken seriously and it was his favorite part of death Sand, which he quotes and he said, like, my favorite part, they test out a version of the Orion Project, sending an object through space by exploding small hydrogen bombs behind it. Like, I read that sentence and I literally had to think, like, what is he talking about? When does that? Oh, you mean, like, in the first, like, 20 pages? Like, <laughs> that? Oh, yeah. I the mean, staircase it's, stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool. It's like, I mean, it's kind of cool, but it's also just, like, a better version of something Earth has already done and, like... Theoretically, it should work. Why isn't he into the circumsolar particle accelerator? Exactly. Why? This is just like the universe example of like trucking. Like it got something from point A to point B. His favorite part wasn't even like the (laughs) capture by the Trisolarian fleet. It was literally just like testing out a version of the Orion project by exploding small hydrogen bombs. It was just like so such a snooze compared to the rest of Death's End. I just would not take this guy's... (laughs) it's a a cool idea but like yeah it's not like you're you're not there for that and it's like yeah it's like it it happens in the in the basically the common era it's in the crisis the beginning of the crisis era right yeah that's correct it's but it's basically like you know present day almost right it's it's like a little bit more of an extension of like our current technology yeah definitely would have to disagree there's a lot more that happens in the third book but i'm trying to figure out why this columnist likes the first two books and i suppose if you want a book that incorporates more of the you know cultural revolution in china you can't beat the three body problem i guess it just was not enough for me so not that we want to spend the whole episode on this because we have a lot of other things to talk about but one of his other points is that that that's end is very hollywood so going back to our non-recurring section of how would this be a movie is do both of you see death's end as being the easiest one to translate to television or film no way i i i I don't i still don't understand how they're gonna do it (laughs) i feel like like, three body is gonna be the cheapest (laughs) we never yeah 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 three body is like yeah more grounded in reality even even dark forest like it's more yeah the drop of attack is gonna be crazy right but like you can but people already did it being like so hollywood 
Like, what does that accusation carry? Yeah, it, it seemed to be like more as like trite storylines and, um, you know, like cliche kind of stuff. And like, this book is totally against all that stuff. So yeah, I I do not agree with that. I could not disagree with that point more. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't take the Hollywood comment to be a compliment. I took it. I took no. it the other way, so I'm no assuming he, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm assuming he means what Dan said, which is it's it's trite or cliche or or whatever. But yeah, but yeah. So if listeners, if you, I totally expect that there's people who like the the three body problem the best of the books, but I'm just super interested to hear why. So feel free, you know, to email us at you know, like Talia said, yeah, rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter. However, you want to get a hold of us. I'm happy to. Uh, I prefer to, Twitter. I will retweet yeah. people who tweet at Rehydrate Pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of moving on to the next subject. So last episode, we had had a, a prompt where we talked about who are the heroes and villains, or who who do we consider to be the heroes and villains. And I thought of somebody like. Oh, you have a follow up pop to that. Yeah, <laughs> I thought of someone like immediately after uh, we stopped recording, and it's a uh, it's AA. AA is a hero of the story. She is like helps uh, Chung Shin throughout her her. Uh, her journey throughout the entire thing and like supports her and like encourages her. And so I would consider her to be a hero of the story. Mm. So and your everyone... first choice is Yun Tianming and your second is AA. Interesting. <laughs> everyone loves AA. She's, she's the best. <laughs> she's the best. That's true. I'm excited to see how, uh, how she's portrayed on, on, on screen, but yeah, so I guess maybe let's just dive into this episode. So let's finally like talk about what happened in this episode. So just briefly, we have, we start with humanity's overconfidence. And uh, like I said, in the main show, it's really funny to kind of read back on it and like, see like a human just being so arrogant and so like, oh, we're so magnanimous. We're going to give the Trisolarians Mars. Like how great are we? <laughs> just like just the, just the totally the humanity being dumb. And then we have the drop it encounter, uh, which is great. And all the dingy stuff. And then the attack, which is also spectacular. Then we go right into the the Starship Earth part and the Battle of Darkness parts, which are really heavy subjects, and it happened. And so a lot happens in this in this part of the chapter. Uh, and like I mentioned before on the, on the main show, super consequential to not only this book but the entire story. Like it sets up basically all the events that happen in the it, you know for the rest of this book, but it also all the stuff that happens in the, in the next book as well. I was reading ahead a little bit. Did we cover the magnification? Like when they find the droplet and magnify it in this section as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, the part where he like, uh, where Dingy gets gets mad. He's like, "Your instruments are broken." You know, like, <laughs> give it's me so more. Enhance, enhance. <laughs> <laughs> enhance, enhance. Exactly. <laughs> it's so interesting to have that reckoning with Trisolaran technology that's happening at the same time in like two different places, like. Or not two different places, because no one who, you know, sees the droplet close up, like, lives to tell about it. But right. it's almost well, like... Well, presumably they, it, was, it was broadcast, right? So presumably that would have made it... Cause it I, was that, broadcast that was... as self-destruction, though. And it doesn't take a lot of tech to self-destruct. But, like, to to get the message out about, like, actually recalibrate. Think, like, 10 million times more advanced than you had assumed before. That mm. message never gets out. So there's just, like, no defense before the attack I, I always assume that like the like there's like a live live stream of like them encountering the droplet and it's on the news or something but it, it came like three hours later or something whatever they said but maybe that it's not true the people are watching on tv right and on earth and i think we haven't seen that yet but i would assume like yeah dinghy's interaction with that with the droplet would have been broadcast but maybe it's don't you know that somewhere. ever since kennedy there's always been a delay in live television yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. But um I did sort of get the sense that that was like another 
piece of humanity's arrogance like that they don't even bother to find out what the physicist is finding out they're just observing from afar but maybe maybe i misread that i didn't have any good reddit prompts that i I found this week but one question i did think of is like if thinking about the entirety of all the characters in the series or things that you've read so far which ones would you which character would you want to be like what would be sort of an aspirational person that you would want to be in that story not who you think you are in comparison to this because you know it's people see themselves as like oh i'm by this person or whatever but like who would you want to be as 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 far as a character in this series well i'll I'll go first because my answer is going to be really simple and it's for a simple reason i'd want to be luigi because just because when he like the idea of living in a fancy cabin out in the middle of nowhere really (laughs) appeals to me so so being being a being a wall facer and not having any responsibility that Ooh, seems that's that seems to bite you yeah. <laughs> again <I've, laughs> that seems like a pretty good gig so as far as i've read right now that's who i would go with although i reserve the right to change my answer when he does something dumb he never does anything dumb it's I not dumb he, it's he, just like he doesn't live a sacrifice free life that's oh <laughs> got it <laughs> yeah it's more like yeah it's a he he pretty much sacrifices his entire life. And not, not sacrifices in the that he dies, but he But like, those five years. Yeah. Those five years vacation. Yeah. Right. Seems, right. seems pretty nice. <laughs> Let's get Dan, started. what what made you think of it? Like do you have someone in mind or are you just uh mining for our opinions? No, I do. So I mean like particularly like reading this section, like I think if I was to choose somebody in the story, I think it would be Dingy. Because like, I was he gonna is, say the same thing. <laughs> he's so awesome. Like he doesn't care. He like you know, says whatever he, whatever he thinks. He's like this really respected scientist. He has enough respect from people to basically say, I'm going to kill myself if you don't let me go see the dropout first. So like having that kind of respect in like a scientific kind of community, like is super appealing to me as a person who works in technology and, you know, like is always looking for, for ways to, you know, like kind of get my opinion out there and have people like respect it. So He's stone cold. I think Dingy is a great choice. Additionally, because... It's almost like he just also seems the most prepared. He's like a physics professor. He hibernates to get his way for hundreds of years, wakes up and goes back to his old job teaching physics and yeah. then gets to go out <laughs> on a spaceship. Definitely. I, I, you know, I would probably, you know, people, a lot of people would choose like a more heroic person. Like, I don't know, like, like John Behag. I could see a lot of people choosing him because he's like a cool military guy and like gets mm-hmm. his way. Like he, he like forces his way. Or... But Ding Yi is on the same flights that John Behag is on. And like yeah. <laughs> Ding Yi and John Behag like celebrate nuclear fusion. I don't know. I feel like they could be a little duo as well. Like A yeah. and Chung Shin. Right. Or, yeah, I can see a lot of people, like, choosing Dasher or, you know, those kind of more traditional, like, heroic kind of people. But, yeah, to me, like, a, an esteemed person in, in the world of physics is, is the most heroic to me. I definitely wouldn't want to be one of the other wall facers. Yeah, I don't think I would choose Diaz. I don't think so. <laughs> this is going to be a tangent, but the, when I was thinking, looking at this, and I, I thought it was interesting, the way... I have very limited knowledge of Chinese. I know maybe like 20 to 30 characters by, by memorization. And so, but I'll often want to like look up stuff, uh, you know, in the original text and see how they translate to, to the original one and try to look it up. So the way I do it is like, I look at a PDF and like look for characters or look for like mark markings that I can like kind of catch up on. Right. And so like, and then I'll go to Google translate and translate them. Anyway, 
<laughs> long way of me saying like I thought one of the interesting things and I don't know and this is a question for Talia maybe you didn't ca catch this but like one of the things I noticed is like when they address Dingy in in the Mantis or maybe on the man when they go to meet the Droplet she addresses him as Nin which is the the more honorific way to say Ni yeah, you right so it seemed like she was like being more reverent of him and I don't know if that's true for like all elders that they talk to in, in this book or in Chinese? Um, I guess that's more of a question for you. I believe that that would be reserved for, I mean, they do respect him uh, and yeah. he is older. So even though he's not like her military superior, I think he is still seen as uh, Shizu's superior. Am I thinking about the right person or is Shizu the other commander no, that's right. who like tells them that like, oh, I actually don't know anything about Guangzhou. I'm like born on the Space Force. I think- Oh, I think- I think yeah. she also was, yeah, saying, yeah, or it was, it was, uh, Hangzhou, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, cause yeah, like the, think... her, her name, like, means something to do with, like, one of the lakes there or something. Yeah, exactly. Not a lake yeah. I know. I learned that from the footnotes. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's where I get most of my knowledge. But I think there's also, like, a little bit of reverence that the people in this era have for common era people. I don't know if you saw that, but I did, especially in the reread, yeah. when they're saying, like, oh, but he can learn our ways, but we'll never know his ways. And like common era people are so cool that they know how to farm. They remember all these old skills. They can be self-sufficient. So I think there's just built in respect for those long-term hibernators. Yeah. I was wondering if like, if they also like addressed uh, John Beihai that way, you know, if like Don Feng Shu addresses him that way, or, you know, I, I guess I didn't know how much of an honorific it is to, to use that form. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's it's that big. I know like Japanese has and maybe even Korean have really intense structures yeah, yeah. for like different ways to pay respect and different ways to respond. But Nin, I would probably say to like a taxi driver just to be like, oh, really? oh okay. like, oh, master driver, thank you for picking me up. Like, okay. you're so kind. <laughs> Yeah, when I was when I was learning Chinese, I, I didn't know like how what, what the differentiating line was. And another side is like in, in Chinese, you always seem to address like people as like yeah yeah or like um, mm -hmm. yeah. that kind of stuff. And like I was like worried like well, what if you call like a person your age who looks a little bit older a yeah yeah or something? I was like <laughs> that seems to be pretty embarrassing, but that always seemed like kind of delicate happens. to me. <laughs> I think that happens when uh, Luo Ji's wife is brought to him, when she's like, oh, Uncle Shur brought me. And at first, like, when Da Shur is like, you know, the descendant of my line is in your hands, Luo Ji. And what he meant is like, you know, get to work, boy, because my <laughs> kids are not going to have a future unless one of you figures something out. But when he was saying descendants, I was like, wait, is his wife like Da Shur's daughter or like niece? <laughs> and I was rereading and it was actually just like, oh, like uncles, like, you know, a guy who is older than me. So she's just saying the old guy brought me and that's Dasher. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely was a, a little bit thrown as well. <laughs> Have you called someone slightly older than you? Like, yeah, yeah, which is like grandfather. Oh, I think yeah, uh, no one would, would hold me accountable for that with my very terrible Chinese. So <laughs> I think they just probably would assume I didn't understand what I was talking about, oh, which is true. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's my take on the need. Another question I had for you, Talia, is, um, you know, in the main show, we talked about sort of big analogous surprising events. And I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it yet, but like some of the analogies I made was um, the Red Wedding from the 
the Song of Ice and Fire series, you know, it's like a big consequential event that really changes the story. Or in Star Trek, there's the the battle at Wolf 359 with the with the Borg that kind of changes you know, a lot of the, the the thinking around the military at that time. Are there other big events that you can think of that are analogous to you know as big at, at scale and, and and story changing as as the dropout attack? Um, I mean, it's definitely a really bold move for any writer yeah. to do because we do like stories that have this nice internal consistency and like I know to root for Harry Potter the whole way through and it's hard to take a story like The Red Wedding. I mean, there's like examples from older literature. I think, I don't know, like Shakespeare is always sprinkling it in some pretty big twists. Um mm. You know, I mean, Oedipus obviously has a big twist when he realizes that, you know, he's actually married his mother and killed his father. That's a pretty big change and kind of a bummer. One of the other parts that Tim had a lot of interesting observations, and I think this is, you know, having Tim, having a person who has not, who's kind of going along the story, like, you know, you know, episode by episode is a super interesting way for me to kind of go through it. And like, that's one of the reasons I want to start this podcast at all is because like, I wanted to you know, hear, hear people's experience as they hit different parts of the, the episode. And so one of the quotes that he had is like, there's nothing anchoring the story other than being a neutral observer. So talking more about like that, th- th- there's no characters you can really hang on to. Like Vlogi is you know, the main character of this one, but you know, it comes and goes. And uh, I, I think like both Amin and, and Tim have said like, we don't really know what he's going to do, right? Like <laughs> what's his purpose, especially when they jump to the future. And it seems like Vlogi seems like just, you'd be useless now, right? He's just a, he's a citizen. Like obviously next chapter becomes super important, but I guess like, how do you think, and maybe I mean, there's a, a question for you when, uh, when the next book starts up, like Luigi doesn't really show up until, I don't know, three or four episodes in, like he, he's mentioned as a, as a kind of famous well facer, but like now we're shifting again to different set of characters and now we can even hang on to Luigi. And I think like Chang Xin is like a bit more of a, a, a main character that, you know, in a more traditional sense. So maybe we can hang on to that. But like the fact that we shifted from Wang Miao and now we're getting away from Luigi too. I, I don't know, like how, I guess knowing that, how, how do you feel about that? I kind of gave up on getting involved in the characters a while ago. I mm. probably sometime in the first book. I, I I don't think, and I think I'm sure I've said this before, but I don't think character development is is what this book is really interested in. It's it's very much world building and, and exploring certain scientific ideas. I I understand what what Tim is saying in that it's hard to really care about any characters, and basically you're just kind of watching the the plot roll along but, but i guess i've that's kind of what i expect from this but was it jarring like to go from book one to book two or did it feel like more of a continuation uh it did not feel like a continuation but also i was prepared for it because dan dan had spoiled book two for me like <laughs> the first episode of the spoiler cast so I, I i i knew that was coming but so it wasn't jarring but it certainly doesn't feel like the same book it feels like the same world I knew the last season of Game of Thrones was coming, but when it came, it was very jarring. Like, <laughs> it didn't match at all. I did feel that, like, the tone, I did feel that the tone was easy to follow from each book to another, even though it didn't have the same characters necessarily. It felt like familiar worlds, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, the, I, I think the world continues on really well, but I don't think the characters matter that much, if that makes sense. 
That's true. I mean, I would, I would, I would agree with that, especially for the first two books. Like, like I said, I think Chung Shin does have more of more of a character, and I, I guess like I cared about Yeo and Jie in a, in a way. I mean, I, I understood her story and like her motivations, but it's you know it's kind of hard to root for her when she she caused all the, and then caused all the stuff, but like she started all the all, you know all these all these things happening, right? But you understood like why she did it and. You know, it's sympathetic, right? Like, you know, she under, you understood like her motivations, I guess. But Chung Shin, like, I think also you understand her character more because like you just spend more time with her than any other character in, in the third book. Yeah, and, and and part of me feels there. There's other. Uh, I'll I'll use film to do this because I have much better filmic knowledge than I do literary knowledge. But like in Pulp Fiction, where there's three very distinct stories with different characters, mm. but they are interconnected in ways that are unique and unexpected so i I think had i not been going into this knowing how this was all going to work i might have some not expectation but i I, that might be something that i might consider would happen but again knowing knowing that you and jay's not coming back it's i can put that out of my mind and and just move on but it, it, I will say it is really, really, really satisfying when Chung Shin meets up with Lao Ji later on. <laughs> like that part, it's, it's great. And it's like, yeah, it's like seeing like an old familiar character. And like you kind of hear about like Lao Ji is like uh, maybe a villain, but, you know, definitely because like they talk about like, I don't know how far you got in the next chapter, but, you know, basically like the star that he sends the spell to blows up. Right. And then like, well, did he commit? Mundicide, I think that's what they call it. <laughs> did like he blow up an entire solar, you know, kill a bunch of people on there? How does he know? Uh, and so, like, people kind of question that in the beginning of the next book. It's and sort then of the event- first entry point into the fact that when we advance in atoms, like when we're actually progressing in the world, these philosophical questions actually become, like, real questions. It's not like, yeah. oh, well, if you could push a button, you know, and, you know, do some kind of harm and gain some kind of reward, like, those become real questions that people actually have to consider because the technology to basically dock someone is really simple so it's something you have to consider and i think there's like a lot of concern about hijackers and like who should guard humanity's ability to transmit this kind of dangerous information and that sort of you know becomes more and more of a concern especially when they develop light speed ships like all these philosophical questions of like what's at the end of the universe like actually you could find out you just need to like doom your entire ship to just keep going forever yeah, I love the third book. What is this guy talking about? Third book is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, and and so one other kind of silly thing that I thought of, like the the Tim when another thing that Tim was saying was he's saying talking about how they're maybe going to add kids to flesh out the characters a bit more. That you know, kind of talking about like, are they going to ruin the series by adding all these stupid little kids? And it made me think of like that scene on the launch pad when they when uh, when AA gives like basically like that tech interview to the <laughs> to the kids on the launch pad with the the brain teaser questions. Uh huh. So when they say kids, they mean like flashbacks, like them as kids, or just like I think it's just like yeah, like you know, adding kids to the story usually always makes it worse. You know, like here you have this cool story, and let's just add some kids to to have some emotional impact to it, and so. That does kind of happen, you know, when the when she when she hasn't saved the kids. So I wonder how they're going to react to it. But I think that seems so great that like it's not going to matter. I think but a it, lot it, of people miss the fact that we actually do learn a little bit about the character in the third book about Chung Shin's um, past. 
it's very brief and we only talk about it once, but I think it was very effective and I wouldn't mind seeing kids there. I don't know if you caught this in the third book, but when Chung Shin, like she, we've already talked about on this podcast, so she's like always skipping across time, like honestly, like a stone on water. Like sometimes she comes down for like seven years or like one year and then she's away. And what we learn is that she never takes her parents with her. Like her parents live the lives that they were going to live and then they die but when we talk about their like the time she's going the furthest in the future she sort of knows that she's going to outlive them and not come back and she doesn't really tell them and they don't call her out on it but they also kind of know and then we get a nice little memory of how they became a family together and I didn't mind that but I agree a lot of kids would be would be a lot I think like people just think of the Star Wars example, you know, yeah, episode one, throw a kid in there and it automatically makes it worse. So <laughs> I think that's the kind of canonical example of, of uh, I can't wait to kids listen to the main show this week. I can hear all of Tim's <laughs> concerns. <laughs> no, I think he has, uh, he has good points. I, I did want to talk a little bit about the Battle of Darkness and kind of any additional thoughts you had there, Talia. Like, you know, I, I think that on my first reading, I it definitely didn't resonate with me or I guess like it was so complicated that like I didn't really fully understand. One of the things I caught, and I think, I don't know if you mentioned to this, but someone mentioned this to me in, in one of the interviews and I forget who <laughs> I probably should have gone back and listened, but talking about the chapter where, or the, the, the part where they're kind of wordless. And the, I don't know if that is meant to be because humanity has got really good at wordlessly communicating because of the, the, the sofas being ever present, right? Like, did this kind of naturally evolve as like a a, a mechanism for communication? Um, because they know they can't talk freely, and because it, it seems like they're conveying a lot of information by just like glances and like short sentences, right? Like, how do you how do you move your eyes and understand like impersonic h bombs? Like, seems mm. pretty like a stretch. So I think uh, they're just understanding. Like, underneath it is just like like death. And the only way to like access that is infrasonic H bombs. But I, I do hear what you're saying. But they just like yeah. Besides like the the specific words like in that bit, it's like artistic liberty or whatever. But like they're conveying a lot of information and a lot of like back and forth like conversation happening with just glances, right? Um. So yeah, I guess like, uh, how did you take the entire Battle of Darkness? Like, do you, do you have any kind of different perspective on this reread? Can we just do quick definition? When does the Battle of Darkness start? and end yeah so i mean the battle of darkness is basically after the drop of attack the ships both the natural selection and then also on the other side uh the quantum and bronze age kind of go off in separate directions you know and then they try to like build up the community of like all right well now i guess we're we're wanderers in the in the solar system and not in the solar system but in the in the the galaxy right and we got to make our way to we got to have different rules and different morality and uh, different political structures and all this kind of stuff. But eventually they realize like, well, that's not going to work. We don't have enough resources to actually make it to our destination. So separately, they all kind of think There's about- There's like a long amount of time, right? I feel like it's like a fortnight of waiting and then the actual action happens in a split second all at the same time, right? It's hard to know, right? I don't think they give actually kind of any time definition. I mean, I took it as like, yeah, because they, it, it's all kind of told from the perspective of that psychologist on board. Yeah, and, the psychologist you know, on board is, is a useful mechanism because I think 
I mean, it's not as good as the psychologist on board in book three, uh, but I digress. Um, <laughs> they do say, I'm, I just pulled open my book and opened up. I'm on like 449. Uh, it says like two days later, the captain of ultimate law committed suicide. So it's sort of like half of the ship or like some amount of the ship is sort of like has that deadened look where they just like look depressed and eventually some of them like kill themselves. Yeah. And there's this, you know, growing uneasiness and like the Lan Shi is the one who's asking these questions like who will be expelled from the Garden of Eden? And they're using Garden of Eden all the time to understand like who can stay, who can go and like, you know, the Garden of Eden has a limited capacity, but unlike the Garden of Eden on Earth, where you can only stay in if you are innocent, you sort of have to lose your innocence in order to stay in the garden here in space. Because if you stay innocent and naive, you will die. So I, I didn't really get as much until the second read, I think. Um, but I did think it was... I liked, I liked the way it was done, because eventually they were going to have to face that like fuel shortage um, problem. And instead of making that like a one-liner like Ray Diaz's death, they sort of drew it out and sort of like built the tension. And I definitely was very uncomfortable the whole time reading it. I thought Zhang Beihai would emerge victorious. I really did. Yes. It's another big surprising part of this just chapter that, yeah, not only does the entire uh, fleet of, you know, ship gets destroyed, but also like two, Zhang Lehi and then also uh, Dong Fei and Xu also gets killed, right? They, you'd think that like they're kind of like, all right, well, all they're the going to take... All people we've been following, yeah. Yeah, so like the, the, they're going to lead humanity to the, the next phase, but it's like, no, it's just like some other random people, and those random people become important too, but uh, for now, like Zhang Beihai has like been, you know, at the, you know, basically the fifth wall facer at this point, and so mm -hmm. we're kind of like thinking that he's going to continue, he's going to be the one that continue it, but, you know, he acts a little bit too slow, for whatever reason and you know oh is, they tell is, you the reason is, though right do they i mean like yeah. he's like kind of just talking he, he seems like he's just kind of talking to like the his the children and like being like all right well we got to do this because this and this and like he's kind of like pontificating you know like why mm -hmm. we need to do it and like instead of actually doing it that was my well, taking on you basically there is this attack and it comes early enough that they're able to see these bombs detonate outside but too late for anyone to do this counterattack. And it says on 457, images transmitted back to Earth from natural selection, which is Zhang Beihai's ship, showed that Zhang Beihai may have understood all of this in just one second. He had imagined that his heart had grown hard as iron through the arduous procession of more than two centuries, but he had overlooked something hidden in the deepest part of his soul and had hesitated before making the final decision. He tried to restrain the trembling of his heart, and it was that last moment's softness that killed him and everyone on board natural selection. After the month-long face-off in darkness, he was just a few seconds slower than the other ship was. So they're like, you know, treading water for a month, and then eventually it all happens at the same time. Yeah, I wonder, like, of that month, uh, yeah, because a month seems about right mm -hmm. from the, the time frame. So, like, it seemed like they are trying to cooperate in the beginning, right? Like, they are trying to form this new council and, like, whatever, but then, like, it seemed like kind of devolved and originally they're kind of chalking it up to they call the problem and like the nostalgia problem of people just being depressed of like you know not being able to see home but then like realizing like later on it's actually like a more the bigger problem is like the people have come to that realization that like we don't have enough resources to actually survive to get to the next planet 
Leo Sushin loves to name things. It's escapism. Yeah. It's Mundicide. It's Problem N. Do you know yeah. that? He loves factions and he loves mm-hmm. yeah naming uh, naming these kind of concepts. <laughs> but yeah, like a month, the month seems right uh, for, for that. But so I guess and you know I, I don't know if like the month is like the time where the console broke down and like people are like kind of being more and more isolated, you know, to their ships and like thinking about these things. And I guess they can't really talk about them. That's why they communicate wordlessly. Uh, because like they're, uh, I don't know, maybe bugs or communicate, you know, the information we transmitted somehow. But it is like when they are crunching the numbers, it is pretty devastating. I think the figure they arrive at is like it'll take us sixty thousand years to get there. At right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Well, and, and because like they're also going to hit that uh, that the dust cloud, right? And that's going to slow them down. That will slow them have... down. Yeah. So even if you start off all happy, I mean, that's only the dust cloud you know about. And in space, there's probably more. Yeah. I mean, numbers are definitely not devoid of emotion. I mean, that number strikes a lot of people, and I think they start thinking that's not possible. Like we actually won't survive. 60,000 years like our hibernation tanks are not not that good again on the main show and one one of the interviews i, I mentioned the story from the one of the other interviews i talked to a, a listener priya uh she had mentioned the, a book called the or a short story called the cold equations which kind of talks about the harshness of space and um just kind of the reality of, of space travel and the limited resources and the sacrifices needed to make so um, if you haven't read that, the, there's a link to it in the in the main show. So I would definitely recommend. I won't spoil it again here, but <laughs> I would recommend you reading. It's a short, yeah, it's a short story. It only takes like you know 20, 20 30 minutes to read it, but cool. um, there's also TV shows about it. So any any more thoughts on the? I guess like your original question is like the, when does the battle of darkness start? So like it's that month long period I think of like after like the the, community, the the cooperation breaks down of of trying to. Uh, to form a community and then like thinking about like this, the, the reality. Um, so I guess any your thoughts on, on that part, especially like on the reread, like, I think that, like I said, it, I think it struck me more clear of like what's happening on reread than it did the first time. Cause the first time I was like, I didn't really fully grasp like all the stuff that happening. No, I, I think, I think you covered it pretty well. The last thing I had was another article I saw on Reddit that yeah, it's a pretty prolific poster on the Three Body Reddit, um, talking about some interesting uh, revelations. And I'm, we're not going to go over all of it because it's a pretty long post, but I'll link it in the show notes. But there, are, you know, some very interesting perspectives on things you would only catch as a Chinese reader because of the way that you know just a natural uh, a native speaker will plan and play with the language, right? Uh, and one of the ones that I thought was the most interesting was how he how he presumes that Lucian is playing with the Ye Wen Jie's name. He was saying like the even though the characters are different for her name, Wen Jie, another uh homonym, I guess, of you know different different characters with the same uh the same pronunciation is actually one of the acronyms for Wen uh was it Wen Ge Hao Jie, which is the which is the acronym for the Cultural Revolution's Great Devastation. So I thought that was like I don't know if like Lucian it can't be an accident, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a violent social political purge that's spurred, then I think that can apply to Ye Wen Jia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just like the fact that her, her her whole like world vision is like totally kind of focused on that. Like she never really moves on from it. And nor should she, right? Like that was like a a traumatic event from in, in her, her childhood, right? Like, um, but you know the entire story is kind of propelled from that 
Well, yeah, poor Yeowen Jia. She has no one to blame. Like, remember when she finds those four girls who are responsible and, like, their lives yeah. haven't turned out any better right. than hers. Like, there's no one really to account for that. I think she could blame her mother, but that's about it. Mm, can't we all? <laughs> she's not. She's not a fan <laughs> of her mother. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I would recommend. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of information in that, that Reddit post. And so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you to link it here and, you know, maybe... I, I've linked it a little bit late for uh, Talia and I mean to really kind of digest through, but you know, maybe if we have more for it for next time, we can, we can talk about it. Okay. So any other thoughts or questions around this part? I mean, I mean, I don't know how far I think you had said you had read ahead a little bit. Um, I don't know if you finished it, um, but I guess anything that you're, you're looking to get more clarity on before you finish the book? Uh, no, I, I actually stopped reading for a while uh, because I was, yeah, I just got a, I just got ahead of where we were, but no, no, no questions or I don't know. I guess I'm looking forward to book three now because I'm I'm curious if the other Dan is right or not <laughs> about about the third book. <laughs> I, yeah, it seems like pretty universal that everyone loves Death's End except for him. <laughs> but again, listeners, get, you know, contact me or us if uh, if if you disagree because I'm I'm really interested to hear. Like, I mean. I think there's totally valid criticisms of book three and of the series, uh, especially when it comes to like misogyny and that kind of stuff. And like, maybe like there's some stuff that's like kind of glossed over. I think like, I don't know if Dan Wang also made this point, I guess getting back to his article (laughs) about like how it seemed like earth was kind of cooperating a little bit too easily, you know, like there's like a little bit too easy consensus of, of people um, and, and of, of political bodies kind of agreeing on things where I think in reality it'd be a little bit more difficult. So I think there's there's definitely valid criticisms to be had, but I think his criticism that it's like Hollywood and dismal, I think are not valid criticisms of, of the third book t- to me anyway. Talia, do you have anything else you want to bring up? I'm really looking forward to the next episode. We should definitely mention in the outro that people who haven't caught up can you know catch up in the next three weeks and tune in for the third book. All right. So thanks for listening. And thank you, Frank, for the email. If you want to send us comments, suggestions, questions, you can reach us by email at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Join us next episode as we finish up the dark forest with the episode called The Snow Project. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. (laughs) 